take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter 4. And let's look at verse 17. And we're going to read down through verse number 21 this evening. We've been going verse by verse through the book. And I am excited about uh, the message this evening. I really am. I think it will be a lot of help to many of you here. Verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that that he who loveth God love his brother also. The title of the message tonight is just two words, two very simple words. It's this, perfect love. Lord, give us a perfect love. The sermon this evening will fit hand in hand with the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand tonight that none of us have this all figured out. Lord, that all of us have imperfections in our love. But Lord, you pushed us through John's hand, John's pen, to evaluate and examine the love we have for you and one for another. And, Lord, to take our game to the next level. Lord, to work on perfecting it. So, Lord, I pray you challenge all of our hearts this evening. Lord, help all of us to draw closer to you. And, Lord, to be better at loving each other as a result of the message. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What is perfect love? Theoretically. In a vacuum, what does that look like? What would our world look like today if everyone loved perfectly? There would be no fights in marriage. There would be no arguments between brothers and sisters. No child would ever get abused or neglected. Children would always obey their parents. Children would always, adult children would always honor their father and their mother. There would be no divorce, no divorce attorneys, no divorce courts, and no custody battles. Again, what would our world look like today if everyone loved perfectly every time? There would be no murder. There would be no rape. There would be no thieves or stealing. There would be no insurance fraud, and our insurance rates would all be a lot lower. Amen? There would be no cheating on grades in school. There would be no premarital relations. There would be no extramarital relations. There would be no CNN or MSNBC. There would be no Fox News. I stepped on everybody's toes right there. (laughs) 
There would be no mudslinging political campaigns. Politicians would not, let me back up there. Politicians would not seek to divide us or fracture us for votes. There would be no racism or class warfare. What would this world look like theoretically if everyone loved with a perfect love every time? There would be no prisons. There would be no laziness. There would be no jails. There would be no judges, judicial system, or court system. There would be no need for one. If the world was filled with perfect love, then all of us, every single time, would choose to do what honored the Lord first and foremost, and then what was selfless and deferential toward others. By the way, this place does exist. Want to guess what that place is called? You got it. It's called heaven. You know what heaven is? It's a place where everyone loves perfectly every time. Raise your hand this evening if your love is perfect. Good. Because if you'd raised your hand, you'd been lying. Not a single hand. That's great. We are all about to get our toes stepped on this evening, me included. I propose that God wants to perfect his love in us one day at a time. One event at a time. One hardship at a time. God is working a beautiful work in you, Christian. He is trying to make your love a perfect love. The question for you this evening is this. Have you embraced this process? Have you embraced this process? It takes a mature Christian to embrace the process. It takes a mature Christian to even identify that the process is happening. But once you have identified that God is trying to perfect His love in you, are you going to embrace the process And let him do so. Can I tell you that it's not an easy process? Can I tell you that you're going to have some relationships along the way that show you that you have holes in your game? That your love is imperfect. That your love is broken. You're going to have knuckleheads come into your life that are hard to get along with. Whether that's family or friends or people you go to church with or just the person who cuts you off in traffic or skips in line at the grocery store. Maybe it's someone who gets on you because you are wearing a mask or someone who gets on you because you're not wearing a mask. And God is trying to perfect his love in you. Are you going to embrace that process? Are you going to thank him for that process? Let's give our attention to three thoughts out of the last few verses here in 1 John chapter 4 that will help us perfect our love toward God and others. Point number one of the message this evening is this. Our love refined. 
our love refined. Look back with me at verse number 12. This will take us back two weeks. Last Sunday night, I did not preach. And so two weeks ago, um, uh, we looked at the Bible the world reads. Look back. Look here at verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Now look down at verse number 17. First John chapter four, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. What is the thrust of the second half of first John chapter four? Well, it's quite simple. God wants his love perfected in you. He wants you to channel up to him and flush out all the imperfections of your love and get rid of all of the lust that is mixed into your definition of love. And he wants to love through you onto others. He wants you to experience his love and to share that with others. In order for to do that, you need and I need, we need to have our love refined. Letter A, notice, loves courage. Loves courage. Look at back at verse number 17 here and let's continue the verse. It says, herein is our love made perfect uh, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That we may have boldness In the day of judgment, pastor, what day of judgment is the Apostle John referring to here in first John uh, chapter four? Possibly, possibly John is referring to the great white throne judgment, possibly turn over to Revelation chapter 20 there with me in your Bibles. You're in first John. That's to the right. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. In fact, chapter 20 is the the third to last chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says I'll begin reading. We're going to read down through verse number 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face uh, the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And uh, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged Every man according to their works. Let's pause right there for a minute. People tell me, Pastor, I think I'm going to heaven because of my works. Can I tell you that if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ and you don't believe in His grace, one day you will be judged by your works. What's going to happen? You stand before God and you show Him your works. Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's going to be multiple books open here. There's going to be the Bible. The Bible is one of the books that will be open. Why? Because it is the giving of the moral law. It contains in it not only the law, but it contains in it the grace that saves us from where we've broken the law. That's one of the books that will be open. Pastor, what other books will be open at the great white throne judgment? Um, The book of life will be opened there. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you, then an angel or maybe God himself has pinned your name down inside that book. And if your name is there, it means your sins have been forgiven and you get into heaven. If your name is not there, then this judgment is for you. You will stand before God and the book will be open and your name will not be there. And then there's another set of books 
that will be present at this judgment. And that set of books are the books that contain the works of your life, the sins of your life. Do you know that for every human that lives, there is there are books in heaven where every wrongdoing we do, every thought we think, every act we commit, every um, every every sin that is part of us and that we're guilty of is recorded in a book and that will be used as evidence against those who've not had their sins forgiven there at that judgment seat. You see, if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Christ, boy, you should tremble in fear at the thought of standing before an angry God who hates sin and the sinners who die in that sin. My my friend, God loves you even though you're a sinner, but if you die in your sin, then you will stand before a God who will no longer love you. He will hate you. He will hate you because you never accepted His Son. He will hate you because you rejected the gift of salvation. He will hate you because at that point you as a sin, a sinner and you and your sin will become one and God will take those who have rejected salvation and he will cast them into hell. I need to turn my mic on. Amen. So that those online can hear me when I move. All right, there we go. Oh, here is a, here's the truth. If you have experienced the love of God, well, you, you have no fear about this day. Why? Because you won't stand before God at this judgment. Well, you'll have boldness. 1 John 4, 17 and 18. You'll have boldness in this day. Why? You don't need to be afraid of a God who sends people to hell if your name is in the book of life. What judgment is being talked about in 1 John 4, 17? Possibly, possibly, uh, John is referring uh, to uh, the great white throne judgment, but probably... Probably John is talking about the Bemis seat or the judgment of the saved. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and here Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth, a very broken and carnal church, and he's saying to them, look, you all better get your act together because one day you are, uh, as saved folks, going to stand before God and give an account for how you live your Christian life. Now, the end result of someone here, they're not sent to hell, but the end result here is that they're going to be embarrassed if they have not done the work that God's called them to do and done that work with the right motive. It's what ministry did you do and what motive did you have? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay uh, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of our salvation. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. We see two groupings of materials here. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Here Paul lays out for us some imagery of what uh, uh, the judgment seat will look like for the saved. Uh, your works will be quantified into building materials and those building materials are going to pass through a fire in God's presence and either your building materials that make up that are composed of the works of your life are going to be wood, hay and stubble and you're going to be handed a pile of ash. Or they're going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. What happens when you put those in a fire? Boy, they're just refined. They're refined, and and what are you left with? You're left with your reward that you have for all of eternity. You know, um, if 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 you are allowing the love of God to be perfected in your life, that doesn't mean you're perfect. That means you've embraced the journey. Can I tell you something? You know the errors in your game. But you have courage and boldness to stand before God one day. 
I can think of times in my life where if you had said to me, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I would have been like, no. No. I'm I'm a wayward from the Lord. I'm backslidden. Please, I don't want to see God face to face right now. I've got things in my life that aren't right. So that might be where some of you are tonight. The thought of Jesus coming back and bringing His rewards with Him and that judgment seat where you stand before God and give an account to Him face to face scares you to death. Because you know there are things in your life that are wrong. You know there are things that don't please the Lord. And you can hide it from the pastor. You can hide it from the deacons. You can hide it from a spouse or a parent. You can hide it from uh, uh, some other authority figure. But God in heaven knows. And you say, no, pastor, I don't want God to come back right, right now. Why? You lack that courage. You lack that boldness. You see, as I'm walking with God, and my relationship with the Lord is right, I am not fearful Instead, I am bold. I am bold about that day of judgment. Letter B. Again, we're looking at how love is to be refined within us. Letter B. Notice loves Christ likeness. Loves Christ likeness. Go back with me at First John chapter four and look at verse number seventeen. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Notice the rest of the verse here, because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is. So are we in this world. We talked about this a little bit this morning, but the answer to our broken world is Christians who learn how to properly love. Two weeks ago, we looked at verse 12 through 16. We talked about how that Christians are the only Bible the world, the world reads. It is through our holy living. It is through our righteous language. And by that I mean our sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is through those things that God's light is shined into this dark world. It is through these things that God's love radiates and penetrates Satan's message of hatred. As God's love is refined, we acquire boldness or courage to see God face to face at His judging of our life. As God's love is refined, we begin to show the world what a Christian or a miniature version of Christ looks like. You know what Jesus said? He said, um, I don't come bringing peace, I bring a sword. And that sword divides father and mother and brother and sister. You say the love of Christ divides? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of you here ever been asleep? I mean, you're just, you're, you're out cold. And someone walks in and turns the lights on right in your face. Does that make you real happy? How many say, boy, Pastor, I just love it when someone does that to me. It's funny, I... Zach, Dad, Zach raised his hand, so you make sure you get him in the morning. Amen? You know, the world doesn't like it when you throw the light of Christ in their eyes. Some people bucket that. Other people look and they see how filthy they are in sin, and they want Christ. Well, boy, some people aren't going to like it. You're that bright light coming into their life, and, boy, they, they, they love their sin. They don't want their sin exposed. They don't want the hatefulness of their sin uh, exposed in their life. And so it divides. But we're still to have the right disposition about us. We're still to love and care. And you know what? As we, the love of Christ is refined in us, we become more and more like Christ. 
letter C, notice love's competition or love's competitor. Love's competitor. Look at verse 18 with me in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Here's what I found, Christian, is our love is made perfect. We fear less and less. We fear less and less. You may ask, Pastor, aren't we supposed to fear God? How does that gel with this verse? And here's what I'll tell you. There is a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. You with me this evening? Fearing God is to reverence God. It's to deeply respect God. But if you understand that God is love, why would you be afraid of Him? Unless, of course, you're living contrary to what He wants. Not to beat a dead horse, but this illustration fits perfect here. When I was a boy, I revered or feared my father. But unless I had done something wrong, I was not afraid of my father. I reached an age where I'd do wrong. I was the oldest of, of seven children. And uh, I'm thinking back to the time when maybe there were four or five of us in the house. And I was an aggravator a little bit. I, I, uh, I loved to be bossy because I was the oldest. And, you know, I was uh, kind of pushing people around and manipulating people to do things for me as the oldest child. Um, you oldest children know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, ask your little brothers and sisters. They'll tell you that you do it. Amen. And uh, sometimes I'd push things too far and I'd get in trouble with mom. Well, dad's at work. Mom would pull me into the room and she'd spank me. And you know what? That worked for a little while. When I had to be 9, 10, 11 years old, mom's spankings just weren't really effective. They didn't hurt. I remember one time she spanked me and I looked at her and I said, that didn't hurt. And she said, bend back over. And she gave it to me harder. And I looked at her and said, that still didn't hurt. And she said, wait for your dad to get home. And I said, guess what? It hurt. No, it, it really did. It hurt. <laughs> I take that back. It hurt really bad. <laughs> From that point forward, my mom quit spanking me. And then I would hear the dreaded words when I'd cross lines and, and, and push my mom's buttons. Just wait for your father to get home. Well, you know, I'd reach an age where I could get on my bicycle and ride the neighborhood. Parents don't let kids do that anymore. How many of you used to ride the neighborhood when you were little? Amen. And you know what? You survived. Amen. And uh, I remember days where my mom would say, just wait for your dad to get home, and I would get as far away from the house as I legally could. But at some point I had to come home. And you know what? I dreaded that kickstand coming down on my bike and having to walk through that door. Because I knew what was waiting for me. Dad backed up mom every time. I was afraid of my father when I had done wrong. But you know, on days where I hadn't gotten in trouble at home, I'd be just two or three houses down the street and I'd see my father's car pull up and I'd immediately leave my friends and hop on my bicycle and run to greet my father in the driveway. I still feared my dad, but I wasn't afraid of him. You see, um, verse 18 uh, is used by, most of the time the way I used it this morning by preachers. is, is used by preachers misplaced modifier, um, is used most of the time by preachers the way I used it this morning. But if we're going to stick true to the context here, what is this saying? It, this is saying that if you are walking 
in God's love. And the process of having God's love perfected, boy, there's no fear in facing God one day. There's no fear in it. The thought of standing before God one day excites you. It doesn't, it doesn't wholly scare you. You're not afraid of God. No, instead, you fear Him, but you're not afraid of Him. Furthermore, let me say this. When I was a boy and a snake came by, I'm terrified of snakes, by the way. I am terrified of snakes. This is an area where the Lord has to perfect my love, amen, and cast out fear, because that fear has total torment with me. I, I probably shouldn't say this. Somebody's going to play a practical joke on me at some point. But uh, if a snake were to come crawling by me, man, I would be in that room in about three seconds, or I'd be out that door, amen? I, I don't do well with snakes. But when I was a little boy, my father was not afraid of snakes. In fact, I watched him grab and kill many snakes, or take a hoe, in, a garden hoe, and chop its head off. And I can remember being a little boy, and you know what? If my dad was nearby me and a snake slithered by, I wasn't afraid. Because I had my father there to take care of it. But you know, when I was away from my father, that same snake, boy, it would terrify me. Why don't Baptist Church sit up and listen to what I'm about to say? Those of you watching online, boy, I sure hope you're listening to what I'm about to say. I look around at people who call themselves Christians, and they are living in utter fear. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that your Heavenly Father is not right by your side. That tells me that you have forgotten that God is all-powerful. And that God is ultimately in control. Boy, if, if, if your dad, your Abba, is standing right by your side and he is all-powerful and all-caring and all-loving for you, boy, it doesn't matter what virus comes by. It doesn't matter what sickness comes by. It doesn't matter what plague comes by. It doesn't matter what comes by. You know that your God is in control. And like the three Hebrew boys that stood there uh, that day before Nebuchadnezzar, they said, Our God is able. He may not stop the fire from hurting us. But if He wants to, He will. And our trust is in God. Boy, I look today and I see Christians who are fearful. And I want to ask you this. Are you allowing God's love to be perfected in you and to cast out that fear? Are you embracing the process of having your love perfected? Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid. Finish the verse with me. I will trust in thee. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us, quote it with me, the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How about Psalm 118.6? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Are you allowing God's love to be refined within you? Number one, we see our love refined. Number two, notice, God's love reciprocated. God's love reciprocated. Look down at verse number 19. One of the most famous verses in all of 1 John, if not the Bible. Look here. We love Him. Let's read it together. Ready? We love Him because He first loved us. You know where we learn love? We learn it from God. 1 John 4, verse 8 says, God is love. Boy, we get that from God. Turn over to Psalm 116 with me, if you will. Psalm 116. We're going to read the entire chapter here. And I want you to notice the reciprocation of love 
from the psalmist back to God. He is saying to God, I love you because you first loved me. But boy, he takes a whole chapter to say it. And oh, how he says it so eloquently. Look here at uh, Psalm 116. Let's read this responsively. Beginning in verse 1, let's read all the way down to the end of the chapter responsively. Let's begin together in verse 1 and read every verse together. Ready? Here we go. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Together, verse 3. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble in sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord, now in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, truly I am Thy servant. I am Thy servant and the son of Thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to Thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. You know what the psalmist is saying here? He's saying, God, you've been so good to me. He's saying, God, everything good that's in my life, everything I have to be thankful for, is because each and every day you shower your love upon me. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. You know, Christian, we have, at times, we can get in the habit of focusing on all the reasons why our life is going wrong. It's not meeting our expectations. Things aren't up to snuff and up to par. And boy, we expect this and we're not getting it. We want this out of a relationship and it's not happening. And we want these things to uh, take root in our life and show fruit. And we try and make all the efforts and it just doesn't seem to happen. And we can grow weary and frustrated. And then at times we can even say, Lord, if you loved me, why wouldn't you, uh, why aren't you letting these things happen in my life? Why aren't you letting my expectations be met? And God says, I want you to get in line with the expectations I have for you. Because boy or young lady, I'm trying to love you. It's just a question of are you aligning your heart with mine? We get in line with God and we let His love flow upon us. And boy, we turn around and can't help but love Him back. I listen to some of the special musics that are sung here and I sit in my seat. And boy, I just feel God's love being dumped on top of me. With everything within me, I just want to stand up and shout. Boy, it's all I can do to contain myself. And say, Lord, I love you too. You ever been in your car going down the road and listening to a good Christian song and you just felt overwhelmed by the love of God? And I'm not talking about uh, uh, the love of God just only being an emotional experience. But bless God, it ought to be an emotional experience sometimes. 
And there's times where I'm listening to a good song and the Lord is stirring my heart and moving me and I just about have to pull the car to the side of the road because tears are running down my cheeks and I have to look up to God and swallow a knot in my throat and say, Lord, I know You love me and I love You too. Boy, God wants to perfect His love within us. He wants us to know that He loves us and He is refining our love. Boy, we looked at our love refined. We've looked at God's love reciprocated. Number three, notice, our love revealed. Oh boy, now it's time to put it to the test. Your love is being refined. That means little at a time, you ought to do a little bit better on this test. Letter A, notice quickly here, notice the lying Christian. The lying Christian. Look at 1 John chapter 4. In verse number 20, let's begin there. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, this is strong language, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now, um, we've seen this language, type of language from John in this book several times already this year as we've preached through 1 John. John has some pretty strong things to say about someone who claims to love God while being hateful toward another fellow believer or Christian. Chapter 2, verse 11, John says about this person who claims to love God but hates his brother or sister in the Lord. Uh, John says in 2, verse 11, he walks not in the light. Chapter 3, verse 15 says he abides in death. Chapter 4, verse 8 says, He doesn't know God. And now chapter 4, verse 20 says, He is a liar. He is a liar. Boy, I hate to be repetitive, but the Scripture's being repetitive. Is it not? This is a short book. But this is the fourth time in this book where John is circled back around to say, You can't claim to love God and hate your sibling in Christ. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, if you have a rub with a brother or sister in the Lord, it is left up to you personally to get that thing right and to straighten that thing out. You know, I've had to battle with this in my own life. In my own heart. There was a Sunday evening when I was attending Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie. I was an assistant pastor. That evening, we were going to be voting on the candidate for pastor. And the deacon board had become convinced that I was leading a conspiracy to throw the vote. None of it was true. But they had drummed up their own fear and worry and thoughts, and they were convinced that I was trying to throw the vote by bringing the Spanish church I pastored into the auditorium to vote against this guy. And so, about 5.52, service started at 6, about 5.52, I I asked for the order of service so I could know exactly what was going on. I was moderating the service. I asked the music leader, hey, where's the order of service? He says, I don't know. Uh, the deacon, the chairman of the deacon board took it. I said, well, where is he? He said he went into the church office. And so I went to the church office to find the chairman of the deacon board. 
Well, as I was approaching this small office space, a room that was probably 10 by 8 or 10 by 10, as I was approaching the door, the chairman of the deacon came out and I said, do you have the order of service? He said, I don't, but those men in there want to see you. There were the rest of the deacon board was in the room. There were five, six, seven of them. I walked in the room and closed the door and the, 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 the deacon, uh, one of the deacons that was there weighed about 300 pounds and he had been a Navy uh, uh, drill instructor and he got up against the desk and he started questioning me. He said, are you trying to throw the vote uh, for the pastor of this church? He said, uh, uh, you brought that Spanish church in here and you're trying to run that guy out of town because you want to pastor this church. And I'm standing there with my eyes as big as saucers. I had no idea what he's talking about. None of it was true. It was all uh, made up in their, uh, in their, their minds and they were convinced of it. Man, I'm having questions hurled at me by five, six, seven guys. And the, guy, the one deacon got so upset, the big guy, he starts pushing the desk closer to me. You ever seen the, one of those uh, uh, movies where the spiked wall is moving in? Right? That's how I felt. The deacons were zombies. Uh, coming at me. And the desk is being pushed toward me. And this guy is so red, the vein in his neck's popping out. He's got his finger out and sweat's running down his head. He's yelling in my face and screaming in my face. And I'm doing everything I can to defend myself. I don't know what you're talking about. None of this is true. Boy, I got out of there at 558 and I walked from that office, down the hall, into the auditorium, onto the platform where we had about 600 people into the room. And I stood up on that platform and I said, Welcome to Granite Baptist Church. It's so good to have you here this evening. Boy, I've never been more of a fake and a phony in my life than I was standing there. You know, the deacon that um, set me up for that and got all the uh, other deacons wound up just two or three months prior, he had been my best friend. He was the boys' basketball coach, and I was his assistant coach. He was mentoring me on how to coach basketball. I'd stay late and help him clean the gym after a basketball game. And he, he and I would go out and get a burger together. And he and I even had Bible studies together. And in just a few short months, he had flipped. And he had greatly let me down and hurt me. You know... um, a few months later, we would leave that ministry. And I would carry anger and bitterness in my heart toward that deacon for some time. Can I just be honest with you? I hated him for what he had done to me. I hated him for how he had betrayed our friendship. And God began to work on my heart through First John and to say, you can't hate him. You can't do that. You can't go around hating him and claiming that you love me because you don't, Richard. You don't. Boy, do us a whole lot of good, brothers and sisters in the Lord, if we just get right with each other, you know. You say, Pastor, I'm not there yet. Tonight, can you make a commitment to the Lord to take a step in the right direction? You may not get there tonight, but can you promise the Lord that you'll work on it? The lying Christian. Oh, we are so good at walking around and giving off the persona that we've got it all together on the outside. Boy, we look the part, we talk the part, we act the part. But inside, God knows. We're not fooling Him. God says, if you go around giving off the appearance and the speech that you love me, while holding a grudge and anger and hatred and bitterness toward 
brother, sister in Christ, you're a liar. That's strong language, that's, but that's not my language. That's, that's, that's God's language. The lying Christian. Letter B, notice the loving Christian. Look at verse 21. Verse number 21 says this, And this commandment have we from you, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Matthew 18, I'm not going to use those verses, so don't feel the need to turn over there. We're running out of time here. But those are great verses to go back and look at. In those verses, Peter asks the Lord, How many times should I forgive my brother? Till seven times. And Jesus says, No, Peter, till seventy times seven. The loving Christian. On the bottom of that half-sheet outline, I've given you a quote to fill in. Here's the quote. Forgiveness comes from a realization that nothing you do to me could be worse than what I have already done to Christ. Forgiveness comes from a realization that nothing you do to me could be worse than what I have already done to Christ. You know, um, if having our love perfected was easy, then we'd all already be there, wouldn't we? It's not. You know how our love is perfected? By one difficult person after another. By one hard circumstance after another. Boy, it would be unethical and rude, but I could list off about 20 people in my adult life that God has put there to try to perfect my love. And you know what? I've resented most of that. But if I want God's love to be perfected in me, then I've got to mature to a place where I look at someone I have a hard time with and say, God, thank you for that person. Thank you for trying to make my love perfect. Thank you for putting people who are difficult to love in my path. Lord, I want to love like you. I want the world to see me, see you in me. Perfect love. Perfect love. Where is the Lord spoken to you tonight, Christian? Where is your love flawed? Let's work to love the Lord our God with all of our heart our soul, our mind, our strength. And then let's turn our attention and learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. We may not get there all in one step, but can we commit tonight to begin that process? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, as I studied for this sermon, you, you convicted me pretty hard. Lord, you made it clear to me where my love is far from perfect. Lord, would you do that for these folks here this evening? Lord, we can't have revival here until we get to a place where our hearts are in one accord.
We can't get to revival until we get to a place where our sins are confessed. We can't get to a place where we're effective in reaching the world around us until our love is made a little bit more perfect. Lord, I pray that each person here tonight would make a solid decision that's tangible that they can leave with here this evening. Something they'll leave with tonight, Lord, to work on, a mentality change. Oh, Spirit of God, do a work in the heart of your people. In Jesus' name.